Our first lesson this morning comes from Psalm 29, verses 1 through 11. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl, the strips the forest bare. And his temples all say, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. And from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 16 through 17 and 21 through 22. The people had just wanted to say that John, John the Baptist, was the Messiah. They had thought he was the Messiah. That's why they were coming to him. John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But, but the chaff, the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, when all the people were baptized, notice when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved, with you, I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For me, this, this text cuts right to the chase. It cuts right to the chase. It's, it's where we receive our identities as Christians and separates us from the rest of humanity. I believe it's worth asking whether we are sustained by knowing that God claims us as God's children and is proud of us for bringing God's love to all people. Think about the idea that every human life is rooted in the will and intention, intention of God. 
In baptism, a child's name is called because our faith is that God thought of this child before the child was. That God gave to this child an identity, an individuality, a name, and a dignity that no one, absolutely no one, should dare abuse. Human existence has its origin not in the accidents of history, or in the accidents of biology, but in the will and intention of the Lord God, creator of the heavens and the earth, the omnipotent one. We all need to hear the affirming words from God, and we need to hear it from each other as well, from each other as well. These are life-giving words that every human being Every human being upon this earth needs and should hear. You are my child whom I love. With you I am well pleased. When Jesus heard these words, they changed his life forever. And they do the same thing for our children, for our neighbors our spouses, our fellow church members, even ourselves. And Jesus promised even our enemies. When compared to the other Gospels, Luke uses very few words to describe Jesus' baptism. But those few words lead us to a very deep fountain of joy in a faithful ministry and journey causes us to identify with all people, all of the people, to depend upon God in prayer for the strength to live and to love and to hear the affirmation of our God as the source of our calling and our purpose for the most, well, enduring joys of our life. That's what baptism is, a joy for our lives. These are the blessings of our lives together as well in Jesus Christ as the church, as the body of Christ. You see, Jesus' baptism in Luke does, does not set him apart from others. Does not set him apart. Rather, the act of baptism underscores the willingness of Jesus to belong to the actions of the larger group. Humanity. Jesus joined himself to humans by humble submission to John's baptism. Jesus retains his nature, however, but opens the way in which we are called, you and I are called, to participate in his life, death, and resurrection. We not only participate, but we are engrafted into it. Engrafted into it, we, we become the essence of his life, death, and resurrection. Notice, notice also that he stood in line and waited. He didn't jump in front to get baptized immediately when he walked in. He stood in line and waited, just like everybody else. And his baptism is not one of, of repentance, but one of of the Spirit 
of the Spirit. Once given, never taken away, signifying God's love is forever. And the baptism that you and I receive is the same one that Jesus received. Ours is a sacrament of God's solidarity with the world and all its sinfulness and estrangement. In Jesus Christ, God entered unconditional solidarity with us. Think about that. Jesus was baptized for lost humanity, and our baptism is the first step of participation in his life, death, and resurrection. It's where we receive new identities and are defined as children of God. Children of the Most High, the triune God, who from all eternity wills to live in solidarity with us and the rest of humanity. I know, I know I've told this story before, and, and if you remember it, that's great. If you don't, think of it as hearing it for the first time. I was baptized at Oakdale Methodist Church, in a small, very small Methodist church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, by a guy named Reverend Phillips. I was just like any other kid in the 1950s. Mid to late 1950s. Really late. In, in 2008, in 2008, the church closed its doors. After 91 years, my grandmother was one of the founding members of the church. After 91 years, it closed its doors in ministry. But on the day in August of 1955, there was a baptism that was a big deal. To the folks at the church, to the, to the family, I was the symbol of the new generation after World War II. Great-grandparents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, you name it. I was, everybody was there. I was the first one. I, so it was a big deal. But there was no great shakes after that. There, there was no rumbling from heaven. There was no rumbling from heaven. There, there was no voice from heaven. The only sound that there was was me crying in Reverend Philip's arms as he poured water on my head. In the whole scheme of things, it was nothing at all special except that, well, it was Reverend Philip's first baptism. He beamed as he, as he held me, and there's all kinds of pictures of it. There's even an 8-millimeter movie of it, not Super 8, 8-millimeter. Nothing spectacular could be seen as I wore my white gown. Yes, I wore a white gown. But the Holy Spirit had just entered a new soul. What would the Holy Spirit do with this soul? Jesus saw something to use to further his kingdom many, many years later. So Jesus began to tug. The Holy Spirit began to tug. And you know exactly of what I speak of because it tugs on you as well. It has from the very first moment, that very moment that the water was dripped on you or poured on you or if you were dunked, or however you received your baptism and how it took place. The Holy Spirit entered your soul and you were moved to faith. 
God's redeeming and reconciling work in the world was accomplished through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and continues now today through the church, the body of Christ, us. God's agents. We are God's agents for the transformation of society empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit began, that began to work in you and me from that very first day of our baptisms still continues to work today. Still working. Still moving. Still urging us and pushing us along. We humans tend to get hung up. We get hung up on who's in and who's out and focus in on our personal relationship with God. Personal relationship with God. I know you've heard that term. I think that this individualism is the problem in church and society today. Christianity was never meant to be focused on the personal Although we need the personal, individual faith pronouncement, however, it's in our baptism that we are truly defined. We become part of the body of Christ. Jesus never, never wants us to go it alone and is always asking us to put aside the personal for the whole. To ask the question, Is it good for me or good for others? Does it benefit me or the greater good? Baptism, baptism is a double-edged identification. We're identified and self-identified with Jesus by the descent of the Spirit of God. And then engrafted into the body at the same time. So baptism is not just a command that Jesus made in Matthew, but an act. And we die and rise with Christ. Our sins are washed away and we are reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit. However, it is it's the next idea that's been driving my thoughts these days. When I sit alone here in the choir room, I have these thoughts. We we are incorporated and united with Jesus and the covenant community of believers by our baptisms. We are no longer solitary individuals, but instead members of a new family and citizens of a new society. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians. And it's in this new society that he talks about to the Galatians that there is neither Jew nor Greek nor free nor slave nor male or female. As the song went that we sang this morning, we are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And I've said numerous times, when one hurts, we all hurt. When one feels joy, we all feel joy. So for me, baptism unites us in solidarity with God and each other. And especially with all of those who are different from us. 
who are perhaps we consider strange or even frightening to us. There can be no baptism into Jesus without a deepening of the sense of solidarity with fellow creatures, with all their needs and all their yearnings. The Apostle Paul posed this argument early on, declaring that there was an unprecedented solidarity, not in Paul's baptism, not in Peter's or Cephas's baptism, not in John the Baptist's baptism. They were not true baptisms. But the only baptism was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A baptism that defies and shatters divisions and barriers that you and I have created, that we have created and create, be it racism or sexism, ageism, Sizeism, other isms of separation that are somehow supported by society and sadly by the church, since they are a denial of the solidarity that is God's intention for all of human life. Because we're made in the image of God and reconciled by the activity of the triune God which lasts through eternity. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, there is one body and one spirit. And we will be hearing these words, right Janie, in about three weeks when we ordain and install our elders. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Then he added that we are engrafted into the whole body of Christ and believers by saying, for with one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Baptism is not something that, that we do along with the Lord's Supper. We, we don't do we, we, or, or practice. by we, we, we get it by means of grace, by which God calls and strengthens and commissions the church. Visible signs of God's invisible grace. Being baptized by, by the water, by the fire, is to bestow the Holy Spirit on us and in us. So to be born again of the water and of the Spirit is nothing less than to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and by which we are received into the society of the church universal and engrafted together into that church and we know this to be true because Peter told us in his Pentecost sermon, repent, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If we, if we think about it, Jesus tells us to go out and make disciples of all nations. 
baptizing in the triune nature of God. But Jesus also invites us through his baptism to share, like I said, in the life, death, and resurrection of himself. It must remind us of the rich love and fellowship that God has with us and the rest of humanity. So we share in the divine life with all of humanity, and we don't have a unique hold on it. We must surely say that the waters of baptism symbolize our new life, our new life in solidarity with Jesus and with others, and it must be sacramental, holy, clean, and pure. It's through baptism that we are marked and know of God's coming and eternal reign. And if it's eternal, then it's forever. And since it is forever, we are assured that God's love is forever. And we are assured of it because Jesus urges us to remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is good news. No, this is great news. For we know that our baptism once received, continues for life and is a perpetual sealing of our adoption by our loving, omnipotent God. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Ken Goodrich, and I'm humbled that you took the time to listen to this podcast. I pray that the Holy Spirit moves you to ministry and that if you don't have a church home, that you are able to find one. Please feel free to tune in on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 12.20 p.m. for our Bible studies, on Thursdays at 10 a.m. for our Learning Center courses, and, of course, on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. for our worship. Just go to fpclc.org to see all our various programs and events. Thanks again, and God bless you, and keep you safe. May God embrace you and keep you in his countenance. Peace.